Welcome to Today in Space, the all things space science podcast. For anyone new, I'm your host, Alex Giorfanos, science communicator and engineer. My degree is in aerospace engineering with a minor in jazz performance. While that may be a strange degree, it gets weirder. I started this podcast five years ago to talk about space, and I'm not really an expert on a lot of sci-fi or space history. My interests were in Star Trek, Star Wars, Dragon Ball Z, which had a lot of space in it. I love the art so much, and I also really love the science behind rockets. So much so that when I found out I could go to school to potentially work on the space shuttle, I applied without even knowing what the industry was really like. Since I first started the podcast, I thought this was a great opportunity since I wasn't already an expert nerd on everything space, which meant I could learn about it for the first time and share what I think here, letting us all, hopefully, learn in the process. I'm not an expert on the Apollo program or the space race for that matter, especially from a historical standpoint. You know, I understand that as an engineer whose expertise is a direct relationship, uh, indirect relation of the space program and the space race. You know, I see the effect and understand the magnitude of the space race and learned some of the history throughout my degree. I learned about people like Korolev, Goddard, Johnson, Arthur C. Clarke, Von Braun, the rocket equation. But with this anniversary coming up, I wanted to do some homework and share my thoughts as I learned the history of the space race. You know, I grabbed the audiobook Chasing the Moon by Robert Stone and Alan Andre. I think we're going to do a few episodes on this leading up to the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission. You know, I have another book on the space race, uh, and, and all of, both of these were recommended to me by members of the Space Pants Squad on Twitter, so thank you very much. I really do appreciate it. I'm currently obsessed with all of the human history events that were tangled up in the inv- in the eventual race to the moon. You know, it's funny. You, <laughs> you hate history in school, or at least I did, uh, or if you're anything like me. I appreciated it, but I, I, I didn't like the act of learning history. And now I'm basically 30 and I love history. You know, one of the things that changed my mind on that was I found a podcast, uh, Dan Carlin's podcast uh, called Hardcore History. Uh, and I would watch, I would listen to that on my long drives to Connecticut uh, from Boston. I learned about Genghis Khan. I learned about the Persian Empire, the Spartans, Alexander the Great. And now my obsessive twitch to learn is focused on the space race. And wow, what a crazy messed up show it was throughout the era of the rocket development leading to and during the manned missions to the moon. You know, you had World War One, World War Two, the Cold War, Vietnam, the Civil Rights Movement, the Cuban Missile Crisis, and everything else that we could be here for hours talking about just how crazy those times were. And all that time, you had both people who were passionate about space travel and research and wanted to make it a reality, uh, working with those who were trying to use the, the technology as instruments of war to either defend their country or to make sure that their country is on a higher standpoint or to take world power. Whatever it was, you had both of these groups of people working together at a time when nobody was really looking at rockets as the next thing. It happened with the airplane. Uh, you know, when the airplane was first developed, nobody was looking at it at all, at the potential of what it could do. And at that time, at the end of World War II, it was, it was really looked at as a psychological tool in war, which were the thoughts of uh, Americans at the time, you know, from the V-2 with the Nazis after the war. And then rockets were entangled politically after World War II and op- Operation Paperclip and While the rocket developed to bring more and more mass into orbit, it was carrying either communication satellites, human beings, or bombs. 
You know, it's amazing to think about how the idea and practical use of a projectile could be juggled between two major superpowers at a time who represented two very different ideals. How the rocket was being leveraged by those wanting rockets to conduct science and help the world communicate ideas and others trying to use it to strike fear or help America or Russia fight a battle it must win. Both sides had both of these scenarios in their own groups and both were in play and somehow Throughout it all, we ended up in a time where we can have a space race currently happening and underway where the stakes aren't as high. I mean, obviously, businesses can fail if, they, if they're not successful. But, but the progress is happening nonetheless. And are we seeing that a war is not needed to get the space industry to move forward? And if that's true, it's truly amazing. And it's an amazing time. And all due to the work that was put into achieving one of the most ludicrous things of all time. You know, when the United States planned to go to the moon, the Russians, who were the leaders at the time, they were only going into low Earth orbit. Going to the moon, bringing combustible fuel to the moon's surface, and then launching from the moon's surface back to the spacecraft, docking, and then returning to Splashland after experiencing a hellfire of heat re-entering the atmosphere, that's a lot harder than launching into orbit and then returning for a splashdown. What I'm trying to say is that I'm thoroughly enjoying this book. So pick it up. If you're interested in learning more about the influence of rockets and the space race, you can get the audiobook for uh, for free from us and a free trial of Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash today in space. Now for some orbital news. First, let's talk about the rocket company Rocket Lab, started by Peter Beck and based out of New Zealand. To quote from their mission statement, there are endless possibilities for what we can achieve with better access to space. But until now, it has been hard to get there. Satellites of today are getting smaller, doing more and costing less, and thousands of them need to get on orbit. Small satellites have been promised frequent, reliable, and affordable dedicated launch for decades. Rocket Lab is delivering on this with a tailored, responsive launch service operating right now. Rocket Lab is leveraging 3D printing for their rocket engines as a way to save on costs and create rocket engine designs that are not possible the way we traditionally make rockets. Next week, they have another launch called Make It Rain, which will be the seventh launch of their Electron rocket, which will have seven payloads on board. Their rocket engine, the Rutherford, will have its 70th launch into space. Next, let's discuss some details on the moon mission NASA has in store for 2024, where the first woman and next man are planned to return to the moon. We will celebrate the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing on July 20th. The 2024 return mission will be called Artemis, and if you know your Greek mythology, Artemis was Apollo's twin sister. She was incredibly skilled as a huntress and rivaled Apollo in skill, especially in the bow. She hunted a lot with Orion, and they were buddies. The Artemis mission sets out to accomplish what Apollo did, land humans on the surface of the moon and return them to Earth safely. But this time, the mission architecture will be different. The setup is intended to be a prolonged presence around the moon after we go back. The Space Launch System will launch the Orion capsule that will travel to the moon. The Apollo program launched two spacecraft to the moon for return to Earth and travel to the moon, the command module, and the LEM. The Artemis mission will launch only Orion every mission. In order to allow humans to travel from orbit to the moon and back again, 
NASA will first need to construct the Gateway, which, in its simplest of terms, will be an international space station around the moon. That way, we can send people to the moon on a regular basis like we do with the ISS. It allows the human crew more time to get prepared between traveling to the surface or the travel to get to the station. It also allows for more checks and planning than is possible as it was done in the Apollo program. You know, just sending a craft and one-way trip, you know, you're, you don't have enough fuel on board or food on board to last any longer than the trip already lasts. So the other advantage of doing it this way with the Gateway is we can also send rovers and landers and crew from the surface of the moon and back more frequently this way. Based on reports about the current Artemis plans in practicality are showing that NASA has pulled back on how much of the Gateway needs to be completed to accomplish the goal of the 2024 mission date. The Gateway has been a part of NASA's long-term plan goal for a while now, and while the latest Gateway protocol uh, proposal is much smaller than what they were recommending, I'm very happy to see the flexibility on NASA's part to pick priorities and strategize on making this deadline. This five years is half the amount of time that Apollo accomplished the same task. You know, can Artemis really pull it off? I think so. I think if the mission stays true to the name, then we may actually see the first woman and next man on the surface of the moon in 2024. Technology still needs to be developed and tested, but that's no different than the Apollo program, and they received funding, which is the same as the Apollo program, so that's very good. Uh, the big test will be continued funding. Uh, but I like what I see, I'm seeing from NASA strategically in the early stages of a pretty ambitious return to the moon for good. <laughs> And that does it for this episode of Today in Space. Next episode, I'll share more of my thoughts on the space race from the book Chasing the Mood by Robert Stone and Alan Andre. I'm burning through that audiobook in traffic because I need a way to escape from being trapped in a car going 20 miles an hour on a highway where the speed limit is 50 miles an hour. It's gotten really bad here, and it's unbelievable. But if you are dealing with city traffic or need to make better use of that time commuting, get a free audiobook and trial by going to audibletrial.com slash todayinspace. Don't forget to check out our ag3dprinting.com, our website. I don't know why I said it that way. You can learn more about 3D printing, see our current projects like this last one where I had to repair the heated bed for my Prusa i3 Mark II 3D printer. I need that 3D printer to make parts of a certain high temperature material for its own upgrade. So it's the only 3D printer I have that can do that material. So I'm trying to have a 3D printer build another 3D printer. But I had to do some time soldering first and test a 3D print to make sure everything actually worked. And you can find that on the website at ag3d-printing.com or our Twitter and Instagram at ag3dprinting and our YouTube channel. Uh, subscribe and follow us to learn more. Follow the podcast, Today in Space Pod, on Twitter and Instagram. Follow Today in Space Podcast on Facebook, and don't forget to subscribe to us if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts and YouTube. If you have any questions for us, especially about the space race era, the Apollo program, or the new Artemis program, reach out to us on social media, email todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com or in the comments below. Until next week, be good, spread love, and spread science. Here's to a fantastic future. See you later.